Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. An Erio's original. I know where I won't go and what I believe, and I think... If I didn't know that, I don't think I could deliver it with the same authority. You don't understand. My joy only comes from a few things in life. Right. One used to be crystal meth, which is no longer part of the picture. Yeah. The other are portobello mushroom french fries. It's taking over my dreams, waking me out of my sleep. I think I'm coming apart. Welcome to The Margaret Show. I'm Margaret Show. This is the podcast where we talk to people you know and people you should know. First up. We talked to comedian Hari Kondabalu. Thanks for coming in. Of course, Margaret. So you have a new special. Yes, it's called Warn Your Relatives. Uh-huh. It's on Netflix. It would be my, my first Netflix special. That's awesome. You know, it's always exciting to do a special. I mean, I think it's like... One of those things, it's like you're freaking like you birthed it. Yeah, yeah. And it's done. and It's like an album. You oh, know? yeah, yeah. I mean, I've released albums before, but they're so much easier in a lot of ways because you can mm-hmm. edit between different shows mm-hmm. and there's a lot. I mean, you can do things in audio that you absolutely cannot do with video. So it, it just made it a little more stressful to try to be consistent. For sure. Yeah. I always make some kind of mistake on some joke that I never <laughs> do in anything right. else. Yeah. And that always like sticks out to me. And then I always kind of look at that as like a good luck thing. Yes. Like, oh, actually, that worked out fine. Right. And it's just funny. Some, like, it doesn't quite exactly capture what we do every single time. It's always a very special life experience. And usually the, the audience is all lit. Right. And that's always weird. Right. Um, Plus retakes. That's right. not a thing you can ever do. It's yeah. never very graceful. Right. It's like we're always so hard on ourselves when we go yes. back and watch it. But people really enjoy it. And, you know, it's like a tradition that... You have to put out specials. It's really important. As comics, we really, really need to do that. That's sort of the one way that our work gets cataloged. Yeah. And um, that you can remember, like, retrospectively, like, what this time was right. like. Right. I mean, also, just in terms of influence, I know it's, it's a different time now because there's so many more specials. But, like, mm. you know, I discovered your work from, like, watching Comedy Central mm. in those early days yeah. and having, I think it was a HBO half hour. It yeah. was the leather bodysuit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so there's a lot of like people, I think just like me, who discovered stand-up comedy, discovered your work in particular mm-hmm. through specials. So yeah. I don't think it's quite the same now because there is so many and there's so many different places. Mm-hmm. But there is a degree of like, I, I know that there's tons of 
like younger people, like mm-hmm. under 18 watching my stuff for the yeah. first time because of Netflix. Of course. I always think of like when you are uh, make any sort of appearance in my uh, mind, like a lot of it is um, in a very authoritative way. Like it's really <laughs> cool. Like it's like you have like the kind of... Um, professorial. Professorial. It's like real like... Henry Louis Gates kind of <laughs> shit, you know? I mean, more so than other comics. Like, you know, yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. like people come to you with, like, the serious issues. Or, you know, when the, when they need to actually talk about race or yeah. uh, talk about um, certain meanings of certain things or whatever, like, they're always going to you as a kind of, like, the hard line. But yeah, I don't yeah. think of it as a hard line. I think of it as, like, you, you speak with a lot of authority on race and about also, like, discrimination in comedy or what it feels like to be on the receiving end of that. Right. And um, and it, I think it's really cool. I feel like, well, part of it is I know what I believe. Right. Like, it, it would be harder if, oh, this is just a good take on something and mm-hmm. it's funny. I think it's that too, but it's also I know where I won't go and what I believe and I think... If I didn't know that, I don't think I could deliver it with the same authority. Like, I have to actually trust that what I'm saying feels right. Right. I think it's really good, though, because it's like a... I think that's what comedy needs a lot. They need a lot of uh, a kind of an opinion of like, well, this is like what racism feels like. This is actually like pointing out what racism is. And so comedy always needs an authority in that. Like, we need to know when we're laughing at something, why we're laughing. Yes. And I think that's what it is. It's like, people look to you, and I think to me, as a kind of thing of like, what does this even mean? Like, what is this? What are we laughing at? I mean, was that a question that you thought to yourself or you had conversations about when you started the idea of what are people laughing at? Because I feel like, I mean, there is definitely a school of thought of a laugh is as good, like mm-hmm. any laugh is equal. All laughs right. are equal. Right. They all mean this as long as you get the job done. Right. I certainly am not in that school of thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but what were there conversations like that? Like when, when you started, like the kind of like the big Chappelle issue, right? Like, do I keep doing this show that might be people laughing at me or do I? Yeah. I think that, You know, what's weird is like, I really do think like, of course, the uh, argument existed that it it is like the quality of what they're laughing at is just as important as laughter itself. Mm -hmm. But um, it didn't really fully come into being until Dave Chappelle talked about it and and that when he walked away from the big deal for his show then it was real like it made it needed right. a moment to make it take it out of a theoretical realm and right. put it into real practice because right, so, there were stakes yeah he actually did that yeah so uh but but before then we had talked about it and i think that you know there was a lot of casual attitudes towards racism against asians and mm. and always had existed because um, it was almost as if race existed on a continuum of how far away from white can you be? And that that kind of thing was like, you would place a value or like a a number on who we could be racist against and the higher value racism kind of went to these different people. It's it's a very strange thing to kind of try to like, qualify the amount of discrimination you would get. I, I think it's also connected to the amount of guilt to mm. some degrees. Like there's such a, a black white dichotomy in this country and one that obviously makes sense because of the history of this country of mm-hmm. like genocide and slavery and 
you know, that's going to that's going to stick. That's something that's not just going to go away and it still hasn't. So I feel like when it's people that are kind of in between those poles and that's how Ooh. we talk about it in this country as if they're two poles, right. as if they are opposed. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very it's like you almost I think there's a safety for years as a safety. Mm-hmm. We can make fun of them mm-hmm. because we don't have to deal with guilt. We don't need to deal with consequences there's no large legacy of you know racism as far as they know Mm -hmm. against our communities nor do they care and Mm -hmm. so there's a safe bet yeah and it's kind of like um who qualifies who qualifies for otherness yeah and now we're like shifting the other in a way that's really positive and i think that's due to social media i think it's a way to like really kind of like work towards equality we're not there yet but yeah. i do feel like oh we're getting there we're getting there with like conversations like about a poo yeah yeah which i think is really important because you know you sort of saw as a figurehead of comedy is the simpsons yeah. and that everything that they did was um brilliant and unquestionable and then coming up with this reality that it's actually questionable yeah it is questionable yeah and talking about it in terms also of time and place like Mm -hmm. during that era when Apu first came out like me and probably a lot of other young South Asian kids were excited about something yeah something existed Mm -hmm. it could be anything Mm -hmm. as long as like there was some brownness that Mm -hmm. vaguely represented an experience that right. our family was having. And that was enough. Because when you have nothing, you you will take scraps. Yeah, you, you want anything. Anything. So, you, I, you know, of course we were all excited about that. But as time goes by, there is this, I, I think, reasonable entitlement mm-hmm. that I think, uh, you know, non-white Americans have that they will get the same treatment. They will be viewed the same. They will be able to express their own voices publicly. And you start to realize, oh, we don't get that. We don't get represented. We don't get to say anything. We get insulted, but we can't insult back, right? right? Like, that's the thing with, like, this fake idea of equal opportunity offense. I think that, you know, that depends on equal opportunities. Do mm-hmm. I have the, a chance to hit you back, mm-hmm. right? Or is it I have to take it and it's on me to have a sense of humor? Right. And so I feel like in those early days, that's what it felt like. There was no mm-hmm. response to it that was mm-hmm. funny. You couldn't respond in a way that would, like, show this is also what our experience is like. This is something other than Apu. And that's like, that's to me like the biggest aspect of it. And when people say like, how come it took you this long to talk about it? I mean, first of all, this is the first time we've had a critical mass of South Asians who can share their experiences and there's actually a counter to what was there. And the second reason is that when Apu came out, I was eight. Right. Like, you know, I could make a documentary now. I couldn't have made it when I was eight. So... You know, it, this is the first time we could talk about representation in a more yeah. critical way. It's funny how it's very difficult for them to talk about it. Like, mm. you know, when it, whenever you sort of hear, is it Hank Azaria? Yeah, who talk, did the voice. Who yeah, did yeah. the voice. He talks about it in a way that is like, well, we're getting to it. We're going to deal with it. Yeah. Well, I feel like what I like about Hank Azaria is that he was on, um, he was on Colbert and he felt really bad about the character and things he says said that like South Asian Americans should have the right to represent themselves and right. have some say in this character. And, mm-hmm. you know, at the bare minimum, he acknowledged, yeah, this this character doesn't make quite so much sense anymore. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was something that was important for him to say. It, and it seems like he's thought about race a lot more critically. Mm-hmm. But 
I feel like the producers there and Matt Groening and, mm-hmm. you know, my my heroes, I, I suppose, like, don't view it that way. So when you hear Matt Groening say people like to complain about things and be offended by things, mm-hmm. you know, that's like really frustrating and dismissive. And it makes what was a like a counterculture type show right. into the status quo. Right. And that's too bad because it he is. I mean, I love Matt Groening, you know, and it's disappointing that they don't know how to deal with this with such grace when they deal with everything else with such grace. Yeah, that's what's, I mean, it it really is a strange thing to to experience because it's, the way they responded was so clumsy. It just, Mm -hmm. it's like, this is not how The Simpsons responds to things. Like they had Lisa say something about political correctness. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, Lisa would agree with me. Right. That character is built to like be the extremely left, like constantly, she's like, one of TV's first social justice warriors. Right, And so if we're going to insult me with that, well, that's what Lisa was. You can't use Lisa to deliver a message about political correctness because she would never say that. Right, right. And then you you really see um, the... uh, the kind of, like, devastation to me of white privilege is when your heroes can't acknowledge their frailty with the same level of gusto and genius and marvel that they do with everything else yeah oh that's a great way that's exactly i mean it is white frailty white fragility it's mm-hmm. like these are also millionaires and billionaires practically yeah, at this point I mean, at and this point. and you know like i i didn't expect them to even respond i made a documentary for true tv like mm-hmm. i didn't expect the simpsons to respond so if they did respond that means that there was they're not used to taking a hit. They would we never, have to yeah. take hits. We have to take hits. We have to take, take them all the time. But then it's it's great to actually do that. And of course they're going to respond. They have to. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, they, we are fans. It's not like we're not fans. If right. we weren't fans, it wouldn't matter. If we didn't really hold them in such high regard, yes. it wouldn't matter. Right. Because it's like, who cares then? But we do hold them in high regard. So that's why it's like this thing of like, well, can't, can't you act like like you should act around? I mean, right, you know, like right, right. deal with this in a way that uh, with the kind of panache that you do everything else with. I mean, some of the argument, like Harry Shearer made a comment about how, you know, Porky Pig wasn't voiced by an actual pig. And the difference being that we're human beings. Right. And that seems like, right. like do we really have to respond to things like that? And. <laughs> I mean, it's a real bummer. I kind of feel a little bad for Hank Azaria because obviously he gets the brunt of it because he did the voice. Right, right. But at the same time, even if he ch- like views the character differently and doesn't want to do it so much, it's not really his call in terms of how it's addressed or written. He's a voice actor. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, there's definitely a sympathy there. It's a very strange thing. It's just, it's it's one of those things I'm proud that I released this film, but the frustration is most people didn't see it. So there was there was all these articles everywhere around the world about mm-hmm. it. It was weird getting hate mail from like Sweden and South America where the only place it aired up to that point was like Australia and the US, mm-hmm. not even Canada. Mm-hmm. So it was what people think the documentary is about. Right, but they don't actually know. No, it's fairly even handed. It's from right. a, pa- a fan's point of view. That's I'm- the thing is that we're fans. Yes. It's not about like dis, you know, like sort of dissing like just the, to diss it you know it's yeah, not yeah. it's not about that it's like about like how do we separate our really important feelings about who we are yeah and this art that we treasure i mean you're a lot i mean it proves that we are bigger fans by being critical of it right. like we know enough to be critical of it right 
Yeah. So, I mean, that's the important thing. I mean, think what they should have done is allowed you to come on as a character and talk about what was happening. I mean, that's what I would have expected mm. from them is for you to be able to bring your voice to the conversation and to the series in a way that would have resolved the issue, I think, um, in a way that would have been really graceful and on brand. I mean, to me, <laughs> it would have been, yes, because that's, they, that's what they do. That's what they do, especially with pop cultural stuff. Mm-hmm. It shows up on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I think it would have been nice just, like, there were some other suggestions that we made during the documentary, too. But, like, what if, like, Apu's kids talked and had like right. a role in the show i right. mean why why couldn't they go to school with martin lisa like mm-hmm. there's no reason why they can't do that and, and that so, would have been very real it would have been real and, and it also opens up a bunch of new characters and new plot lines which right. they have not had in a really long time it's a lot yeah. of repetition at this point right i think it also has says a lot about how it's on-air talent isn't enough it has to be writers. It has to be producers. Yeah. It has to be people in power because ultimately they're the ones who control the shots. They're of the course. ones who write the scripts. They're the ones that okay things. That's really where the power is. And I think you know, we talk a lot about representation. I think now what I see or what I want to see is more representation behind the camera. That is where power is. Yeah. And I think it is It is like getting there. You know, yeah. we get there. We get there by, you know, little steps here and there. But I feel like it's moving faster. Yeah than it has been. And you're moving faster. You're all over the place. We spent time together in Edinburgh mm. in, um, I think, 2012, was that? 2011. 2011. Yeah. Now, did you go, have you been going to uh, the other festivals like, um, Mont- not Mont- well, Montreal, of course, right. and then, of course, um, Melbourne, Melbourne yeah. and Sydney? I haven't done Sydney, but I, I did Melbourne, which was fun. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. fun. Um, have you been doing, like, um, Malaysia and um, Singapore? I think you would be... Really it's been big a lot in of Europe. It's been like like throughout Scandinavia, mm-hmm. Berlin. Yeah, yeah, of like, course. Yeah, you know, it, there's there's a lot of that. Like, yeah, that's good. Belgium, but I'd like to play. I mean, I you know, at some point would like to play India. You know. Oh well, yeah. I did that once years ago, but it was it was kind of a, it was a weird thing put together by the State Department, which made me mm. very uncomfortable. It was Obama, at least, but um, that to me was at least like okay, this is fun. It's an introduction to stand up. To a lot of people, but to actually do a proper paid tour, I think would be really cool. It'd be cool because, yeah. um, you know, they do have comedy stores, yes. right? All over. Yeah. Like and a few. And stand-up's gotten like huge right. there. People have Netflix specials. I mean, Veer Doss is like the biggest performer yeah. there. Yeah. Which is super cool. Yeah. Do you, I mean, is there any kind of stand-up presence in Korea at all? There is. Well, I've done like their SNL. Which is definitely really? very weird because they have, like, if you look at the cast members, they all kind of look like weird um, mashups of, like, Fred Armisen and Martin Short. <laughs> like, they're, like, all of, like, the different, like, traits of yeah. all of these different comic actors throughout the history of SNL. Yeah. And they're all put on, they're, like, the Korean versions, but they're all on um, the show. And yeah. they're really funny. Um, but they do, it's basically SNL, but they do it, and, and Lauren Michaels, I think, is an executive producer. What, really? Yeah, and then they just do it all, but they do it all about Korean celebrities, Korean, and then there's like Korean stars on there, which there's a big, of course, you know, entertainment market there. What was it like when you were on? It was weird because they had to translate my comedy, oh. which uh, they did, on a, subtitled it, and then where they're supposed to laugh, they lit it up. So like they would like kind of like underline where the joke part was, yeah. And um, they were great. The yeah. audience was great, but it was definitely like hard to. There's certain jokes they didn't like, and that I had to take out. And it wasn't because they were dirty or anything. It was because they they showed Korea as a war torn country. 
So <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were yeah. like, well, we can't show that because that's not the kind of message we would yeah, put out. Yeah. And and so they, they didn't want to have anything that referred to Korea as poor or war-torn or yeah. having had a conflict, political conflict, ha- having any imp- impact. So that in itself was a very strange thing. But uh, the the experience of doing the show was funny. Are there comics there influenced by, by your stand-up and you starting or were they I inspired? I think it's just like the fact that I'm... Um, I'm a comedian in America right. and that I'm, I'm Korean also. And that, that achievement is like an acknowledged thing of like, well, that's an incredible thing that she's been doing this for so long and she's over there. Huh? I feel like you and I have some similarities in within our communities there. Like I'm you definitely more than me, but I definitely know this feeling of like South Asians come to support me mm-hmm. because they want to support me, mm-hmm. but they don't necessarily like what I do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so they don't like it, but they come anyway mm-hmm. because I'm not exactly what they like. If let's say they wanted like Russell mm-hmm. Peters, or mm-hmm. they're not, you're not going to get Russell Peters. Mm-hmm. You're getting something completely different. I think it's changing now because there's more of us like doing stand up and more voices. But I felt like that's a thing that still happens now and then, where you where you see sometimes even South Asian parents bringing their kids. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And not realizing, oh, this isn't that. Right. Yeah. Or that they may disagree with some of the things that you say. Yes. Like for me, my um, Koreanness uh, conflicts with my gayness. Right. My queerness is like definitely like this is really shocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then my sort of sex positivity and that kind of stuff, that's really shocking. And then uh, to marry that with like kind of these hardline ideas about race and what's sort of proper. That's like also like sometimes it's like a little bit like a weird combination. (laughs) But, you know, they I figured out how to kind of try to get with everyone. But it's definitely like a challenge because there's different like warring parts of ourselves that people have to confront when they come see us, you know, because it's like, you know, we have opinions that are very important and that they're like told in this sort of jokey manner, but they're serious, too. That's the problem with being like three steps ahead, Mm -hmm. because then all of a sudden everyone else is catching up with you. And that just takes time because I feel like I have to deal with my Indianness and like my like making fun of white people-ness, mm-hmm. which is definitely a major conflict. I feel like yeah. a lot of, you know, with race, often I notice like, I mean, this is not all South Asians, of course, but there is a degree of like, ah, let's not anger the boss. You know, there's that mm-hmm. there's that feeling I see sometimes, like almost where, where white people feel more comfortable laughing than the than the Indian people because they're like, ah, oh, we don't talk about race in this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the, um, and the conflict of otherness and like what we can like take liberties with and yes. what we can't. And then so, you know, and we're all sort of trying to figure that out now, which I think is really, it's really fun to do in comedy. Yes. Is that like yes. now it's like, this is the great, this is the best place to do it. Yeah. You know, and do a, you really think that? The, I do. Like this is like right now where we are mm-hmm. is potentially the best era for comedy because you mm-hmm. certainly hear people very much disagreeing with that sentiment. I think it's the best because we are policed so much yeah. that is good for comedy. Huh. I think like cancel culture and the idea of it is really good for comedy because it really forces us to be really good and and mm. make these points not without really thinking it through. Like we really have to have a valid at least joke about something that we're going to say that could possibly be um, a conflagration. Like, you know, you have to like really back it up with something 
Solid. That's interesting. Yeah, as opposed to, I mean, because I think racism, sexism, homo, they're, they're shortcuts historically in comedy. Right. right. And as you could just use. You can just use and you throw someone else under the bus and right. then you have your punchline laugh and you move on. Yeah. And you can't do that so much now. So it you forces can't. you to be great. Yeah, it forces you to be great huh. and it really forces you to examine, is this going to be worth it? Huh. You know, if I'm if I'm going to be under fire for this, is this actually going to make sense for me? You know, and so I think that's good. And a lot of people are like, oh, you can't say anything anymore. Well, that is true for um, the cis straight white male. Right. Because they're dealing with accountability for the first time. Right. And and um, the, the impact of privilege and what it's done. So now they have to be. Um, you know, really smart in order to kind of deal with that. I mean, it's funny because it's really like, you're saying I can't say everything I want because if I say everything <laughs> I want, I might lose my job. Right. Like, that's what everyone else has had to deal with, like biting their tongue, not saying right. exactly what they want because there will be repercussions. Right. And now it's our turn to actually, like, take that, you know, take the center stage around that, yeah. you know, and talk about it. So I think that it is really, I think it is a really good time for comedy. And I think that people who say that it's not are missing the opportunity. Yeah. they're. I mean, also that it feels like they're falling behind. Mm -hmm. It almost feels like the angry factory worker or the coal miner that lost their job and votes for Trump mm -hmm. because it's like all this stuff's happening and I don't fit in anymore. And where are the jobs mm -hmm. as opposed to like, you know, I mean, I don't want to put this on the coal miner, but the idea of like, the government should provide job retraining right. and there's other opportunities for work and this is not the only one and i feel like you have all these angry like middle-aged to older white men who are like i'm getting i'm getting aged out i'm mm -hmm. getting uh like there's new technology now and i can't yeah. do the job anymore so whenever they say that stuff, it's like you're saying the kids these days without saying the kids these days mm -hmm. like every, like things are they can't go to colleges and it's like you're saying the kids these days. Yeah. George Carlin went to colleges when he started. Yeah. I mean, that's that's not a that just it's a challenge. It is a challenge, but it's also something that we can rise to. Yes. So I, I, I look at it as being really positive for comedy. And and I think that comedians nowadays are really delivering, you know, like yourself and of course, Aparna. Yeah. And um, my very favorite special Brent Weinberg. <laughs> <laughs> I say I say his name every podcast. Really, in some way. <laughs> I love him. I love him. Nobody's doing what Brent's doing. Nobody. Well, you know, yeah. he's just he's it's it's really incredible. But it's like you know what we are seeing is like the people that really should be seen are being seen. Yeah, and and they're speaking, and that's you know that's you absolutely, right. and it's really you know it's really important. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Because I remember there was a story a few years ago. You were performing at the Stress Factory. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you like you had a show that you did not feel good about, and the mm -hmm. crowd wasn't into what you were doing. And then you yeah. came back, yeah. and you redid the show. Why? One, what ex what exactly happened? And two, why did you decide to go back? Why not just like, that happens in comedy, right? It it's a bad gig, and you move on. Like, why did you choose to go back well i like the club because it's owned by a comic okay so i respect that i respect comics who have a comedy club it's a very specific kind of person <laughs> right, 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 right 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 so i'm like that's cool like i i do respect that i respect um a kind of a mid-sized club in a mid-sized city mm. that is like really supported by the community so you know and that was a bad show for me and it was mostly my fault and and it was like also like i just wanted to see kind of what went wrong and part of that was supported by um comedians in cars getting coffee so jerry seinfeld wanted to go back too and that was like this thing of like oh well i was gonna go back anyway but if you want to come this makes it oh, all right, right, kind right. of like you know a whole experience and uh and then it was kind of like 
Well, if the audience wanted to come back, they could just see Jerry Seinfeld for free and then see me, you know, do a show too. So yeah. that was fun. It was a great chance to hang out with Jerry Seinfeld again. And that, you know, that just seemed to me like, oh, what a great thing. Like, I said, I've always kind of wanted to go back That's to like hilarious. a shit show yeah, yeah. and see why they thought it was so terrible. And um, what ended up happening is uh, it was really amazing, you know, and the audience was great. And they were just so honored to kind of be invited back and asked like what this was about and and so i think that it's it's meaningful like as a comic like i've always wanted to do that and it just there was a lot of things that happened that made it really important to go back wow so and i like that club yeah they have they don't have a check spot you know what they do is they wait till the end to do the check spots well i mean a comic runs it so they know they know the the check check spot spot. is the worst thing in the The world worst i once i remember it was I think it was it was in Seattle, and uh, it was at a club. I won't be specific, but um, I was close. I was within the last ten fifteen minutes of my headlining set, and the server comes out and starts yelling, "Last call!" Oh no! And it was the worst feeling. Mm. Just the idea of like, oh, this is really about selling drinks, right? Like, just make sure we get their money for the drinks, and we're good. Yeah. Well, the check spot for who those who are not. Uh, familiar is when a comedian is headlining the last 10 minutes of the show the audience is given their tally their check for the night which includes all of their drinks and food or whatever and it's always more than they think it's going to be I I, or I mean I don't even know I don't even think it's more I think what it is is that they're just getting their check so you're always going to look at your check when you get it yeah yeah. so it's a moment of like not looking at what's happening on stage right and it's really hard for comics because it's like you're supposed to be doing the funniest part of the whole night (laughs) exactly and they're like talking about who paid for what like just split it down the middle yeah why are you arguing with this or just wait to look at it until this is over yeah but there's a you know this thing of like you know we've got to get this done and and so it's a it's the most challenging thing for a comedian I think that's that's why Steve Martin said he does he quit comedy. Oh, Steve Martin said he quit because of late Second show, show Friday. Yes, which I always like the Late Show Friday. I I love whenever the Late Show Friday isn't going great. Mm-hmm. I I always tell the audience, you know who Steve Martin is, and I tell them that <laughs> anecdote and I just let them know that like you're not supposed to be good. This yeah. is part of a long tradition right. of crappy late show audiences. Yeah. You're doing what you're supposed to do, yeah. which is not really paying attention. Yeah. You're drunk and you're tired. Yeah. yeah. And it's hard for comics because Friday is when we do radio. So right. we're usually up at like five in the morning after flying in the night before or whatever. And then, uh, you know, it's it's like kind of a tough thing for everybody. But I always appreciate the Friday show because then it's like, all right, now we're really doing this. Job. Right, 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 right. You know? Like the the trenches, that's really the trenches of comedy, as if there were trenches, but that's hard. Um, So it's important work, just as you do important work. And uh, where can people find out about your shows now? You Caroline's, the the Netflix special now. Right, on uh, on Netflix, Warn Your Relatives. Um, My website's harikunabolu.com. So my website is really Google, and you type in Hari, H-A-R-I, and Comedian. And then I'll be it. That'll yeah. be the one. I'll be the one. And yeah. so Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the social media, it's all there. That's great. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming. Of course, Mark. It's always so surreal to... I, I, I know we've known each other for a while now, but because like January 14th is 20 years since I first went on stage to wow. do stand-up. And Amazing. I went on stage because of you. Oh, well, I'm, I'm I say so it every glad. time, but it's that, it's that surreal thing of like... Wow, it's almost 20 years and I'm talking to the reason I am, like, you are the reason I'm doing this. Well, I couldn't be more happy about that. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you. 
Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. And now we talk to the wonderful comedian, Ant. Uh, I believe that we got like fruit ones. So maybe there was like a mango and a raspberry. Mm. I um, love that I turned you on to their um, portobello fries. Those are delicious. It's my favorite thing on the whole world. So we went to Bottega Louie, which is such a delicious, delicious restaurant downtown. They don't take reservations. So I, I pulled a scam. What'd you say? I called and pretended to be the VH1 talent department, and I said I'd like to make a reservation for one of our top tier talents. You did? Chill, swear to God. But <laughs> and they were like, hold please. And they came back and they went, what time would Miss Cho like to die? Oh, well, they know me anyway, so but, I don't even think you had they, to sort of like- Well, because if it were Pat, yeah, we did. I mean, no, no, no. They they would have, uh, if, if you just said it was me anyway, you wouldn't have to said that I was VH1's top tier talent. Well, I do that as a compliment <laughs> That's to you. nice. Yeah. Thank you. So we got a window table. And it was so good. It was delicious. I mean, I actually love that restaurant because it's, um, I used to go there and I would write. So it was like my office when I lived on Figueroa. Yeah. So I would just sit in there and it just felt like, it felt like New York, but also it felt very LA. Really but also LA. it felt like Europe too. Like there's just so many but things so about it. so loud in there. It is. It's like very cavernously loud. It's cavernously loud. But the West Hollywood location was supposed to open two years ago. Yeah. You don't understand. My joy only comes from a few things in life. Right. One used to be crystal meth, which is no longer part of the picture. Yeah. The other are portobello mushroom french fries. <laughs> so good. So good. So, so different for Joyce. That you, you know, <laughs> that's kind such... of, they're really at the diametric opposite. They are of... the diametric opposite. The third is my dog. Right. Which you totally get since Lucia has been. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love. Because you had dogs before Lucia. Yeah, I love my dogs. Yeah. And, and I love uh, I love the little dogs because they have so much love to give. So much. She's literally your shadow. She is. But um, I've known you since I re remember the first time we met. I feel like it was 2000 and like really it was right after Dance in the Dark came out because it was Halloween and I was Bjork from Dancer you the Dark. Were. And I, I met with Sean Dwyer, Greg Cope, and The Raisin. Yeah. No, I had seen you do comedy before, but this time I saw you and I I don't know why. I remember you were wearing like a white headband and, and a like, wig. And a and wig it was with flabby long hair. It was long hair. Yeah, and it was Flabio. And um And I wore it off the stage too. Oh, you were Flabio. What's Flabio? That was my costume that year. Uh-huh. I was Flabio. Fabio. What's uh -huh. But I was fat, so flabby. But you, uh, but 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 you had a brown wig with a white. No, I had a white headband, headband. and a brown wig because Fabio. Remember, you know Fabio, the of cover. Of so course. he had brown, flowy hair. Oh, I I I thought it was blonde. 
No, Brown. Did you ever see the thing where he um, got hit by a duck by hit by a, a duck on a, <laughs> on a roller, roller coaster? coaster. <laughs> One of the very first internet <laughs> viral videos when he and it was like really awful. But I didn't see the whole video. So funny. I only saw him coming down when the when the ride stops and he's just bleeding. Yeah. It's awful, but it's so funny. It's the weirdest thing. Like, one it's of the first so things to go viral. funny. Is that mold? Where? Right there. Oh, I don't know. I hope not. It's Hollywood. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> We're um, in a basement. I used to live across the street. I used to live I in I feel Carlton. like Laverne and Shirley in this room. It is. It's like it's like the uh, the basement apartment. Yeah. But I used to live across the street at the... Uh, remember the House of Cards where um, yes. all the comedians lived? Right. Did you live there? No, but I knew it because I we were going to do a documentary there. about it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that was you. Yeah. Do you know who just died? Who? Yesterday. Who? Martha Jane. Do you know Martha Jane? <gasps> oh, with the red hair? With the red hair. Oh. Cirrhosis. When? I mean, yesterday? Yeah, Michael Levitt texted me on Facebook. Aww. She was great. She's she was really great. great. She was a great. Uh, yeah. She was a great lady. So I got the news yesterday. That's sad. Just only it because she, the reason I brought it up is because she's the one that told me about the comics house. I want to look at her right now. Yeah, Martha um, what Jane. About, uh, what about Allie Willis? That Can was Can you believe we, we all just saw her. six weeks ago? It it is it is one of those things when you get older, as you know. I don't like it. We notice. I don't death like it a lot more. Well, I don't think that's true. I think it's happening. A well, lot it has more. happens a lot more. Well, my this is this year has been colored by my best friend in January last January yeah, died. I remember, and uh, you know that affected you in a big way. Yeah, well, it still does. You know, because I really am very. Um, I'm very uh, stuck around her death. I mean, it's it's a very difficult process because I, I think, you know, and every time I go to San Francisco, it's a very strange experience because she's not there. Right. You know, and all of my experience. You still wait for the text or the phone call. For right. Her. Yeah. But also, you know, uh, I think um, the, the memories of being in the city and, and everything around my childhood has to do with her and my teenage years and. And so it's a very strange uh, thing to feel that void. Let me know? ask you a question. Mm -hmm. And honestly, and answer honestly. Mm -hmm. If you were floating around in the ether mm -hmm. and you believed in a creator of everything, just if you did, I don't know or not, mm -hmm. and you had to go to them and say, I want to be born and experience humanity, yeah, knowing what you know today, mm -hmm. would you have made that choice? Yeah, I mean, because it's like, uh, I think, it, you know, you want to learn, you know, every lifetime, if right reincarnation is real, then every lifetime is really, there's purpose in it, you know, mm. no matter how brief or how long it is. What's your purpose is. in this one? Um, I think my purpose in it is to... Um, it is to find laughter in 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 areas where there are not or yeah. there had not previously been. So yeah. that I think is well, my journey. Thank you. You're but really I think that's I I feel like that's my purpose, and that's when I most feel purposeful is when I write a joke or I make a joke and somebody's laughing. Mm -hmm. That's the most important uh, work because it gives me the most gratif gratification. Do you know which of your jokes is my favorite? Um, you you'll like, never, you'll never guess it. You like, uh, uh, cicadas. Oh my God, you guessed it. Cicadas. You, you like it. cicadas because you're the only person that ever laughs at that part because I, <laughs> girl, I, girl, 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 cicadas. girl, cicadas, because it, it, the joke is that I, you know, I had a house in Provincetown that I had to have soundproof because there was so much brunch happening. <laughs> And it, it attaches to another joke because the gay word is girl, which girl. doesn't mean girl. It has many meanings like aloha or shalom <laughs> or many of the words for snow uh, that that people have. But it's like that. 
So, but cicadas, because it's girl, girl, girl. I had to have the place soundproof because it was girl, 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 girl. And um, it's, uh, but now there's a lot more gay words. So Funny. it's. um. What's your favorite new word? My favorite new word is probably snatched. I like snatched, snatched. because it's like, it's kind of like you want to be snatched. Mm-hmm. And that sort of has a lot of meanings. It can be uh, positive. Mm-hmm. Um, or that somebody snatched some your wig. Yeah. Then that then it's negative. My favorite thing to do is add Isha to the end of anything. Oh, Isha, yeah. Yeah. That's a so, cute. Margisha. Yeah, that's name. cute. Yeah. But then that's kind Quinesha of uh, is my new favorite boy's name. That's Quinesha. um it used to be Equa. Equa, it's Isha now. The the nineties or early two thousands was you would put an Equa. That was sort of like yeah. the effect of uh, I think Mad T V. Yeah. That would, would make you What'd you think of Kate McKinnon? I love Kate McKinnon. I mean, her like little tribute to Ellen and stuff was so beautiful. Well, I, I didn't thought. see. I didn't see. I, I mean, oh, I'm a fan. Sweetie, it was so beautiful. I love, it really I love. Was. It made me cry. I, made I mean, me cry. I think she's great. I think she's a genius. Yeah, she thanked Ellen for making it safe for her to be a lesbian. Oh, that's great. I know. That's I really just great. just was like, this is like, we need more of this. I, I really, you know what? I have mm. a bit of a Bill Hader crush. Well, now that he's dating who, Rachel Bilson? I don't know who that is. Oh, is he? I mean, I they have... came out on the red carpet together. Oh, yesterday I have a real. At, uh, what was the award show yesterday? Oh, the Golden Globe. Why is I... your producer whispering? I have a real hard on for Bill Hader because, Why? especially Stefan. You know the character well, Stefan yeah. because he's a lot like Austin Young, my other friend. Yeah, it's like the kind of gays that are always put their hands on their face. <laughs> the non-Asian straight gay boys. Yeah, yeah. which is like. <laughs> It's such a it's such a beautiful affectation. So I really love the way his fingers are, and they're really his fingers are really straight. But he's dating that girl now. I think it's Rachel Bilson. That's cool. It is. Your producer's so, agreeing with me. He's so gorgeous, but he's you such really a think great. He's gorgeous. I think he's talented. He's so funny. I don't think he's I, gorgeous. I think he's gorgeous, and I love him and Fred Armisen together. I think that Bill Hader looks like a stalker. He does. I don't know why. I don't. But he's the type that's so cute. Like he's, he's the so type to cute. stalk you, and he does a really and threaten your life and threaten to kill your dog and your oh, family. I love it. I would. I, well, he he is so cute, and um, I love it when he does all of the MSNBC personalities. <laughs> They're very specific. Rachel Maddow. <laughs> no, he does. Um, Keith Morrison. Mm-hmm. He does all the really good. Um true crime personalities from msnbc and it's really funny but he uh yeah he's my favorite i think over That's the your years big celebrity crush right now yeah well uh well fred armison is also up there too but i love i like i think big bill Hader would be like the one that i'd sort of look for if i'm looking in the news of right. like um celeb celebs my big celebrity crush right now and i was never ever a fan of his nor did i ever find him attractive hmm. brad pitt Oh, well, he's Ever since Once Upon a Time beautiful. in Hollywood, I finally see him as a movie Isn't star. he gorgeous? He's oh so God. Jen Michael Vincent in that movie. He's so hot. He is- Without I, the helicopter. Yeah, yeah, but he's very beautiful in the movie because I love of, uh, uh, his injuries because, you know, when he's like working on, on, on the roof- all of his body uh, injuries. They oh, did those a are really... real. No, 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 no. They're they they're part of on. they're part of the character. Right. Yeah, because he was a stuntman. Yeah, yeah. But I love I love that detail. I mean, of oh. course, Quentin, um, a fan of our show and yeah. a, a former guest, yeah. is a, a he he is so detailed with those things, you know. Right. And I love that he had like written out all of the episodes of the shows that they are in. Right. You know, and kind of their sort of Bible of like their life, life together. You know who I really, too, uh, am, am in love with right now is at first she fixed her face and she lost a lot of weight and I didn't like her was is Renee Zellweger. 
Mm. But then I saw her in that movie Judy Mm -hmm. and I thought, oh my God, she's like tortured. She I loved is, her. I think she is lovely. And I, I think she is a great her. actress. Like I always root for her whenever I see her in like all the Bridget Jones. I liked her in Bridget Jones because I thought she was authentic, but then yeah. she lost a lot of weight and fucked with her face and I didn't like her after that. Well, I mean it's just you know, it's a consequence of Hollywood. Especially you'll see that now because it's January. Yeah. Everybody gets their facelift in December. I don't know what happened to her, but then when I saw her on that Netflix show, I can't remember what it was called, it was so bad. But she didn't look like her. Someone had to tell me it was her. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, what that is, it, it is like so... It was like Meg Ryan it's went so away difficult. as Meg Ryan and came back somebody else. But it's so difficult for women in Hollywood. They're just confronted with this idea that they have to stay young. But when has it ever worked for any of them? It's, when has one gone away and come back all plucked, tucked, and sucked? And someone's gone, wow, what an improvement. No, but it's it, Meg this, Ryan, it killed her career. Jennifer Grey got her nose, Janet killed her career. It's the stages of life in for an actress in Hollywood. It's like one of the stages that you go through. You go through a pa- plastic surgery phase. And I think that it's like, it's very hard to resist the, the urge to. Really? You know, especially with the, with the way that um, technology is now and also the way that influencers are and that how plastic surgeons are now quite like sort of influencers themselves. Right. But... Um, I do think that uh, you, when you come out the other side, it's it's really, I think it's magnificent. So I think Judy was really great. With What's that. her name that was married to Antonio Banderas too? Melanie, oh, Melanie Griffith. Griffith. She didn't look like her. I fell in love with Working Girl, oh, not Oh, you know what? I love Something Wild. Do you remember Something Wild? She no. was so great in that movie. Was that the one with uh, Denise Richards where they all made out? No, no. That's, that was uh, Wild that's Things. Wild Things. No, um, Something Wild is with Jeff Daniels. It's an 80s movie, and it's where she has the black bob, and she's like a, a hustler, Melanie Ooh, Griffith, and it's at her most movies. beautiful. Really? I mean, it's, it's like- Before the, the surgeries? This was like in the 80s. Yeah, way before the surgery. So she is so, I mean, I think she's beautiful. I, you know what? I can see through the surgery and uh, see the as beauty. A, as, but I can't. Yes. Uh, to me, it's like, look, you're, like Meryl Streep has allowed herself to age. Well, she hasn't done yeah. that stuff. Glenn mm. Close has allowed herself to age. Dame Judi Dench has, a, Helen Mirren. These women have allowed themselves to yeah. like, age like a fine wine and yeah. we've accepted them. Yeah. Right? But and they, they still are get also, delicious, meaty, good, delicious roles. But they're also women who uh, were not in the same category when they were starting out. You know, that 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 sort of like the ingenue, that like Meryl Streep was never the ingenue. Bridget Jones's diary, she was never an ingenue. No, but it's, no, but she was more so in, in um, Jerry Maguire. She's definitely, when you can well, see, still like when you can see assistant. somebody's like clavicle, they're an ingenue. Okay, first of all, when you can why see, are you looking in someone's mouth? The clavicle is on the neck. It's the bones. You see, you don't know what it is because you've never seen mine. <laughs> <I've> never... <laughs> <laughs> Show they're... it to me. I, I don't could... have them. Well, do I have one? Yeah, you do. You actually do. Where is they're it these, this? They're these, these, the T-shaped this? bones. Yeah. Is it this? Yeah, that's it. You got them. I don't have, do I have any. It? I've never had any. You I have, have them. It. Yeah, you have them. Your producer says I have it. Yeah, you do. I I told you you have it. I don't have any, so I've never been an ingenue. But if you can see the T-shaped bones on front of your chest, uh-huh. you're an ingenue. You've never been able to see, I've never Well, no, actually, maybe in Excalibur you saw Helen Mirren's T-shaped yes. classical. Uh, so Helen Mirren is the exception. She, she was a, an ingenue. I like Judy Dench. Uh, she, I love Judy I like, Dench. I love the gravity that she brings to any kind any of role. role. Any role. She could be doing a comedy and you want to slit your throat at the end. She's so good. She's so good in that movie with... Um, uh, it's it's with Kate Blanchett and Bill Nighy, where Kate Blanchett has sex with a ch- student, 
when it's kind of a teacher, it's a bad teacher thing, but oh. she, she has sex with- Is there a uh, vampire in it? No. Oh. But did you watch Vampire on Netflix? Oh my God, No, I'm so... going to watching it this tonight. <gasps> oh my God. Yeah, I can't wait. It's, it's from the BBC, so... isn't it? Goddamn good. Is it? I mean, I it do love- It got mixed reviews. I love it so much. I watched but it all yesterday. But The Witcher got mixed reviews and I love it. I haven't watched The Witcher, but I so do good. love a Dracula. I love Dracula. Me all too. of the stories, all of the Me from the Gothic too. novel I love on down. All of them. I love all of Me them. Me too. I was watching the originals as well. Yes, I mean I love them all, and this one it really it really snatched my wig off my head. You you don't wear a wig. I know, but it did. If, if I had a wig, one. I would snatch it my snatched. clavicle. You just it wanted to say snatched my clavicle. It snatched your clavicle. It your clavicle was so. Goddamn good. What's the name of the guy that's starring in it? Because he's like a hot Clay, daddy Dracula. Clay, Clay Spang. He's like a daddy he's gorgeous. Dracula. Gorgeous. He's right? fifty-two. He's perfect. But he looks like David Walliams from Little Britain doing. Oh, a character. David Walliams. Yeah. Who I love. Who also. I love too. But uh, he he looks like David Walliams doing a character. But um, Mark Gatiss wrote it. He is a genius, and yeah. I've been following him since the '90s, since League of Gentlemen. He's right. a great writer, right. and he did Sherlock. Yeah, of course. Right. Um, he and but, his partner wrote Dracula. Yeah. Right. And there's a great, there's a lot of great gayness in there. Any nudity? Um, no, not Damn really, it. not particularly. Uh, but the no, actually, there is. Oh, thank God. Actually, there's a very long sequence with uh, the Dracula is naked. The hot daddy Dracula. Yeah, the hot oh, daddy Dracula. I can't he's wait. naked. Is he's he got a in great blood? body. Um. Not exactly, but you'll okay. see. It's such a good, it's such a good one, and I do love the draft. Is think it a series or is it just a one-off? It's a series. Well, Thank it's a God. it's a series, but I don't know. It Did is they kind drop of resolved. all of the episodes. Yeah, it Thank is God. resolved at the end, so I don't know. I mean, it could come back. I don't know. But uh, I love the Dracula myth and the story because it is all about addiction. It's not about hunger. It's not about. It's not about eating or satiation or drinking blood. It's all about addiction and about how addiction is really, it's, it's all about these myths that you believe about addiction and mm -hmm. these kinds of things of that, that you'll deny and you say that it's a hunger mm -hmm. and that you need it to survive. But actually, that's you just don't. a thing that you tell yourself. Right. And, In order to um, keep feeding the addiction. Yes. So it, it's it's a really great metaphor for addiction, which I think it's always been. Yeah. And um, an, an addiction in order to escape reality. Nice. And so it's a. I think it's a really great take on the Dracula myth, and Dracula has always been a sexy, sexy character. I love that it's a hot older Dracula. I love a hot older Dracula. Me too. The hottest Dracula so far for me has been Richard William Lynch. Defoe. William Defoe too. I thought William Defoe was a hot Dracula. He is a good Dracula. He's a good Nosferatu. Because <clears throat> you can tell, he's got a big dick. You see it in Antichrist. Have you seen Antichrist? No, but am I right? Well, it's gnarled like a branch. It's like an I'm okay old with that. tree. I'm okay with, with a that lot too. of eyes. <laughs> well, that's it's I'm like not okay a, with there's the elves eyes. that live inside his dick. It's like that's a big, so gross. big old log. I'm a straight man now. It's like gnarled and like there's roots. Like what? you can see, like the dick has like roots growing. Like Why do, because this... it, the dick is deep. Like it goes down into his like crotch and comes out of down his legs. So like if is you... it a prosthetic? Or do you think that's real? <laughs> It's re that's a that's his dick. I Is mean, really? I don't think that there in Antichrist. There's I think it's his dick. I think it's his dick. I think it is. I, you don't like big ones. No, I don't like a big dick. But I will take it if that's all I'm offered. If I like the person it's attached to, you mean in a I'll pinch? I'll take it. In, in a pinch. pinch. I don't like. I have a very short vagina, which is really. What does that even mean? Because it's that my my cervix comes up top. It's real short. How's that possible? All human beings are made the same. So no, I have a very short vagina. It's like um, my vagina is like Artie Johnson. 
or Dorf on golf. So it's like Alan Carr. <laughs> Your vagina is like Alan. My Carr, vagina and it's is start like singing Grease. I'm gonna any put. Minute now. I put. Uh, I put the uh, the um, shoes on my knees like Dorf on golf uh, for my vagina. <laughs> From... It's very short. Is that Tim Conway's character? Yeah, Dorf. Yes. That was like the main the main conceit of the character yes. is that he would put his his shoes on his knees right. and that was the character yeah. and it was always funny for some hilarious. reason hilarious i don't know why it was it just was funny he was kids. just funny because he would just play it real yeah i think he was the funny who do you think is the funniest comedian um wanda sykes for me right now oh wanda's great wanda, wanda is sykes. definitely definitely one of the greats yes when she talks about her french wife and her oh. kids I just so can't funny. stop laughing. She is so funny. Yeah. And when, when you... she guest hosts for Ellen, I never watch the Ellen show, mm-hmm. but I have my TiVo now. Just to see her. Am I allowed to say TiVo? But I have my She's TiVo. She's so good. Just, and it's only set for when Wanda guests. Hosts. I love Wanda. And I love to do karaoke with her because she's always going to try to she... do a, Je- a, a Jeffrey Osborne song. <laughs> On the wings of love. Yeah, she's like, oh, I will fuck up a Jeffrey Osborne song. I will. And she will. Um, one time we did karaoke and I drank so much alcohol that I was convinced that I had been um, roofied. But uh-huh. of course I hadn't. You know. I, I was just drunk. Uh-huh. But I was like, <laughs> I got roofied. I was just drunk. But I was so... I, I drank so much tequila. Tequila, all alcohol is bad for me, but like tequila and especially tequila for some reason had a really the worm deleterious effect. Like it would, I would the delete worm. huge sl- swaths of memory. Deleterious. Wow. Is it because you would drink the worm too? No, no, I never drank mezcal, but uh, that's a, that's the worm that's yeah. in the. T- no, I never ate the worms. I don't, I don't like the hallucinogenic effects, but I still would be like so sick and drunk. And you'd still keep going back to it. Because yeah, of well, the addiction, what do we tell ourselves? Well, that it's a, there's all these myths that you think you it's a hunger that you need right. it, but you don't. Need but it. you don't need it. But it was a like oh yeah, I feel so much better that I don't drink alcohol. Alcohol. What was your like favorite drug when you were doing drugs? Oh, uh, obviously uh, opiates. Roxycontin. Really? And Roxycontin. Okay, one thirty milligram Roxycontin. One soma. Mm-hmm. A and, soma. Yeah, and a bottle of red wine. That's over thirty five dollars. Yeah, a perfect. That's the perfect night in. (laughs) And then maybe the perfect blackout. Maybe a biography of Etta James. (laughs) But that's all I need. You know, give me a soul singer biography or autobiography. A soul singer, an opioid, and a sleeping pill. Yeah, and a bottle of wine. And a depressant. And I'm I'm really good. I'm good. You're in for the night. I'm good for you know. I don't even need to bed. Now, do you I drink the wine down. with a straw or out of the bottle, or do you use a glass? Oh, I, use a, to be... I use a glass with a big bowl, a proper a, crystal like a large stem with a large, long stem, like an yeah. oversized wine. Do you glass. do a bathtub thing too? No, no, no. I don't get in the bath because that's I'll just die. I'll drown. You'll, you'll drown. But people would come okay. over to my house and disappear for days, yeah. and they'd be like, "Where did he go? Where did Will go?" And they'd be like, "Oh, he's at Margaret Cho's." And they'd be like, "Oh, all right." Oh, yeah. And then, <laughs> like it you just... did drugs with like Anna Nicole Smith. I did drugs with everybody. I mean, I mean, I no, I just kissed her. I just kissed her, and but then you did I did drugs with her. No, it was. Did more... you watch her going and think to yourself, "She's got to cut back"? No, no, no. It was not like that. It was more like I just wanted to be around her. But I, uh, I've done drugs with yeah, quite a few people, um, and it's it's interesting because, but you 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 really when you do drugs with somebody. You're really only with yourself, you know, because it's like Always. drug taking really turns you inward and it's never about hanging out with anybody else because you're conscious of them and how much they're taking and how much you're going to get, for, like how much is going to be there for you. Right. So you're always sort of looking for where's mine. 
Right. So you're not really connecting. Do you like to be the person given the drugs or the person holding the drugs? Both. I mean, I like to be the person holding. Oh yeah, I have to be. Well, I think I have to be the holding. Yeah, holding. Be the holder. Um, but I also uh, do love getting it. Like I love being given. Given, gifted. Gifted because then it's like a. I don't know. It's like a. I don't. No, it's like a treat. It is like a treat, and I I feel like a kid. Yeah. You know, when somebody like like doles out a little bit of thing for you. Yeah. It's a good feeling. Yeah, I remember used to be getting lots of like. Yeah. Lots of free stuff. What's your favorite drug? Crystal meth. That's it. That is your favorite drug. Do you what know is... what I just heard today by someone told me today? What? Okay. So now I've been clean for a while, you know, almost nine years, okay. but uh, I used to spend $3,000 on an ounce of crystal meth. Do you know how much it is today? How much? $100 an ounce. I'm so mad. What is the, why is it so cheap? Now? I don't know. I guess the Hell's Angels have like over, it's like, it's like OPEC, you know, when OPEC overproduces and they flood the market, the price mm. of gas goes down. Apparently the those Hell's Angels have been quite busy this holiday season and they flooded the market. There hasn't been enough demand, too much supply. So it's a hundred dollars an ounce. Now, what do you like about that drug? I've uh, never well, liked it. Well, I like it. to mainline it. So I like to mainline it. So you inject it. Correct. Yeah. When I was doing it. Yeah. Uh, and I liked that I get a lot of stuff done. Right, a lot of stuff, and I like that it would end. I would end up in psych wards. I like that mm-hmm. because how it's long a nice would respite. It, how long would you go without sleeping? Oh God, I think the longest I ever went was maybe twenty six days. Oh my God. Oh yeah, I was completely psycho. But then, um, how do you black out when you're on meth? You can't on meth. No, so that's no. that but you black out on heroin, valium, and alcohol. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that was like the backup second favorite. Right. And then my third favorite was Coke. So I like either go up, down, up, down, up, down, or up, 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 up. Mm-hmm. That's my That's, favorite. Yeah, I don't like any kind of upper. I've never I've never had That's a- always my first a... choice. I didn't like uppers until I ever did one. Mm. Like I, only, I did crystal meth by mistake. I was at the probe one night. Mm-hmm. And this tall Nordic Latino looked at me and said, you look a little tired. Oh, and then they gave you a little bit of... And he gave, gave me a bump. bump of it. And I said, what is that? And he's like, crystal meth. And I said, I need more of this immediately. Oh. Immediately. I don't like cocaine. I, well, I don't like never... cocaine because it takes too much to keep you where you want to be. It's, it's always an awful feeling. Because it's, it's, it's fun for like 10 minutes and then you feel awful. Then you got to do it again yeah. in order to get back to feeling great. And then your nose starts to bleed. It hurts. And I then have you a deviated lose the cartil- Me too now because of cocaine. Oh, mine is just because it was like that. Mine, I was born like that. Oh, I had really? surgery to re- I surgery to re- re- uh, recalibrate uh, my nose. Did they fix it? Yeah, I, I got it. I got it straight now. Oh, good. So I can't do cocaine or else it'll, it'll it up. fall up, good. fall out again. Good. But uh, yeah, I just don't. I mean, I'm not. I don't like. I don't like snorting anything. I'm just glad I don't do any of it anymore. I know it's better. You know why? Uh, coming over here, there was a cop car behind me, mm-hmm. speeding behind me. I don't mm-hmm. know if they got a call. And there was no panic, like, what's in my car? There was oh, no yeah, panic, yeah. what am I going to say? There was just, I got nothing to worry about. Right, of course. And then New Year's Eve, I went by a sobriety checkpoint. The guy flashed his mirror and I go, look, dude, I'm sober almost nine years. You want me to get out of the car? I go, I can dance. Just <laughs> wave him through. That's, that was <laughs> it. Fun. It was great. I, I got worry. stopped at a security, uh, a sobriety checkpoint once when I had had uh, cocaine put in my back for my tattoo. So my artist had put in a tattoo, uh, like sort of in the ink, he put cocaine in the wash water and into the Why? tattoo ink to keep to my swelling it? down oh, yeah. and to anesthetize it. Yeah. So we were doing a long session. Yeah. And I was so nervous about it 
that I was like freaking out. And then I got when the sobriety checkpoint and I was acting so weird and I wasn't high, but I was just like, I have cocaine in my back. Like it was so weird. You said to the officer, I, have I didn't say that, but back. that's what I was thinking. I was so nervous. So weird. They would have looked at you like, like what? 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 I've got cocaine in my back. It's like, what? Yeah. Um, and I am so excited that you came. Are you doing your podcast now? No, I stopped doing it. Okay. Greg's still doing it, though. It's oh, called good. Second Chances. We should still plug it because it's a great podcast. It's a great podcast. I had it's a good time on there. stories of second chances uh, for people that have gotten a second chance in life, and it's hosted by two comedians, him and uh, Jimmy Shin. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're living their second chance now oh, with good. that podcast. Well, when can people or where can people find out about your shows and what you're doing? We just did a show on Friday, which yeah. was a lot of fun. And I did one last night at the uh, in the main room at the laugh at the comedy. Oh, store, good, good. Which is great. It's great. Yeah, they they can go. Uh, the official ant is my Instagram. All right, you did it. I did it. Thanks, Ant. Never miss an episode of the Margaret Show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The Margaret Show is an Erio's production with editing by Kat Hong and original music by Garrison Starr. Erio's. Powered by ACAST. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.